Hey, photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and really I'm just here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That certainly means helping you improve your photographic skills and enabling you to become a stronger business owner, but it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We are sponsored by PhotographersEdit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another Boca podcast and uh, another brand new guest. Mackenzie Bigliazzi is here with me. Mackenzie, I already said this to you offline, but your energy is just like it's contagious and it gets me excited for this conversation. So thanks for hanging out with us today. Yes, of course. I'm so excited and I'm just excited to talk about something that I think is really neglected in the biz and I'm excited to be here with you. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we are going to dig into a, a pretty important topic. Uh, I think at this point, what we're going to call upselling without being salesy, uh, and you know, this is something that even I still have to like kind of push myself through the apprehension of being a salesperson, not coming off too salesy. I'd own a company and involved in the you know, design of the marketing process for Photographers Edit. And, you know, in fact, during this time dealing with COVID, the last thing that I would want to do is come across salesy, right? Photographers have too much to keep up with, enough to keep up with without me saying, hey, by the way, you should use Photographer's Edit. Um, and yet right. <laughs> there are service, even, even during this time, a service like Photographer's Edit, there are other services, other products that can still be helpful, despite the fact that we're not dealing maybe with the same amount of revenue that we would during so-called normal time. So all that to yeah. say, I can relate to this idea, and I think it is an important topic, and we're going to dig into that in detail here in just a little bit. But before we do, my one of my favorite questions to ask, and I usually ask every guest that comes on the show, is about brand position or the unique value proposition your business offers to your market. What would you say that brand position statement is for your company? So my brand position has taken a big pivot because I'm originally from Illinois and I moved to Colorado. So the markets are very different. So I, to sum it up, I help couples plan their Colorado wedding no matter where they are. Oh, I like that. Okay. So the planning, first of all, you help them plan their wedding, which is really interesting. Yeah. There's no mention of photography. How does that do right. most couples that come to you or hear about your business, they already assume or know that you're a photographer? Yes. Yeah, so like on my Instagram, on my website, it's uh, like, it's very, very obvious and in your face that I'm a photographer. Um, so in my words or in my branding statements, I talk about how I do a lot of planning for couples and um, especially for out of state couples, it might be a little intimidating to yeah. plan their wedding, whether they're eloping or having a bigger traditional wedding to find spots, to find venues, what vendors to trust, things like that, because there's so much Colorado offers. So I help them plan as well as photography. That's really cool. And and I love that you lead with that. And you know, that the photography part of it is almost just assumed. I think that's kind of brilliant. Yeah. And I'm seeing that on your Instagram account in your profile, helping badass couples plan their elopement no matter where they are. <laughs> um, I, I really love that. It, this is a different take Thank you. Than, than what I hear from most photographers. So props to you for that. And by the way, for everybody listening in, you can check out Mackenzie's Instagram if you and we'll put this in the show notes because the spelling's a little bit challenging probably for most, but <laughs> Uh, it's Mackenzie, M-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E. -E. That's pretty straightforward. Underscore and then Bigliazzi, which is B-I-G-L-I-A-Z-Z-I. -I. By the way, am I pronouncing that correctly, Mackenzie? Yes, I'm thoroughly impressed that you did that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kind of helped us out with the pronunciation, I think, and leading up to the to the conversation. But nonetheless, Mackenzie Bigliazzi, we'll put that in the show notes, uh, Instagram, and then, of course, the website as well. It's just MackenzieBigliazzi.com. We'll put that in the show notes at BocaPodcast.com. And uh, let me jump to the next question. Talk to me about customer experience. What would you say is one of the most important principles for you, for your company that you have realized over the time that your business has been around for providing a great customer experience? Yes. So this is an awesome question. It made me think back to when I first started, I was like, educators, well, education wasn't very much a thing when I first started, but the people who would help you out were like shoving like ads down your throat, stuff like that. Yeah. But I really think it's all about communication, like being transparent more than just 
saying that you're authentic in your Instagram bio, it's communication like, hey, if somebody emails you and they're trying to plan logistics, but you're on vacation, you know, it takes two seconds to send them an email saying, hey, I'm going to get back to you Monday. I'm just out of town for the weekend. I think communication goes so far so that couples don't feel like they're out on their own. Yeah, the proactive nature of good communication really is super important. I was even having this conversation right. with our, our production staff as well. It's, you know, yeah. for, for anything to be left to question, it just yeah. doesn't set us up to provide a great customer experience for, for anybody that might come about our business. They might see, hey, you know, I, I'm interested in using McKenzie. What does that look like? And of course, so the communication process might start with your Instagram profile, it might start with your website, uh, or it might just start with a a text message or a phone call, but proactive communication is huge. You mentioned the significance of so-called authenticity. This is really kind of a cliche catchword there for some time. I haven't heard it as much as of late, but what do you feel is the difference between, or maybe the line between authenticity and sharing too much, whether it's on social media or otherwise? Oh, this is a great question. I actually get this a lot because if anybody's been following me on Instagram, they know that I'm very open about literally everything. Um, And I think that helps me to be, I get a lot of emails, like first initial inquiry emails that clients are like, Hey, I feel like I already know you. So it helps them say yes a lot quicker, Mm. (laughs) but I don't know if I know the line. There are things in my personal life, of course, that I don't, you don't want to use Instagram or social media to air out your dirty laundry. But if there's like, you know, if there's something that you're struggling with, be honest about it. And I think that really helps your clients or anyone looking up to you to relate to you and see you authentically. And I hate that word. But if you do it right, it brings a lot of um, meaning to it, you know, like, oh, they're struggling with bookings right now. That's really honest of them instead of creating because social media can help you create kind of like almost this pretend fantasy life that nobody, I don't know, that people see online. And then in real life, they know you and they're like, oh, like she actually struggles with things or, you know, things like that. So I think authenticity can have so many different meanings. And I don't know if there's a line. I think it just depends on your comfortability with it. Like I know some of my mentees, they don't put a lot out there. And then there's some who put everything out there. Like, Hey, (laughs) this week I, you know, did this and this and this. And then there's some clients who just, you know, don't really care to know everything about your life. So it's honestly about your brand and how much you want to push that. I think. Well, I feel, and, and first of all, yes, to your point, I, I don't think that there is one clear line for everybody. I know it is going to vary, mm-hmm. but it seems like in some ways we have kind of gone overboard. And I mean, the thing that comes to mind, you were talking about, you know, sharing that we have struggles and, and I think there is mm-hmm. something to being authentic in that way. And at the same time, some of the, the posts that I see coming up in my feed, um, especially from individuals who will post this type of stuff more than once and in a relatively short amount of time. The, the posting, the so-called posting of struggles for the sake of authenticity, even in and of itself becomes a bit exhausting because you're like, okay, at some point, is there something to be said for positivity and, and forward movement and proactivity oh, and growth and so forth? Um, so I, I don't, yeah, there's definitely not a clear line, but it seems absolutely. like we've almost, the, like the pendulum has almost swung to the opposite side in some ways. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a great point to bring up because I think that they're the only reason I bring up struggles is because I think that social media is a place for us to kind of like create this um, image for ourselves. Mm. And when we when we also create an image like that includes our struggles, I think it leans more towards the authentic because sharing positivity is so easy. But I do agree with your with your statement about, you know, when does that stop? Because. I do, I've had to unfollow like fellow photographers that are just really negative and having that negative energy out there is also not good. So balancing that is like, it's a balancing act, honestly. (laughs) Well, I think if I got the sense from somebody that, you know, if if there's, it's one thing to share that they're struggling. um, But, Mm -hmm. but when I'm, I'm thinking of a particular person in the industry right now that I've seen post over and over and over again about their struggles and, and there's, at least a question mark for me because a value an actual like stated value for myself personally is proactivity, right? It's one thing to, I mean, 
I think, realize that we have a problem. But then talking right. about that all the time for the sake of authenticity, I think just be, can become exhausting for everybody and certainly not a great, great example. Whereas if somebody says, hey, I am struggling with this thing, but here are the things that I'm doing to, to step beyond that and to move beyond that and then to actually see forward movement from that person, then that actually becomes a source not only of authenticity, but also a source of inspiration and encouragement and, and education mm-hmm. for that matter, which I think can be really helpful to the world at large. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And I actually, I actually, you put it into words, but I do that in my Instagram captions when I'm sharing like struggles, like, Hey, like, like for example, the most recent struggle was moving just across country. Yeah. And I shared about that and I was very positive about it. And I was like, here's some things I've done to kind of help with this feeling like I'm alone. I call family. I do this. I do this. And I offer like, even though I talk about my struggles, like you absolutely want to offer like, Hey, these are things that are working for me. Or even just asking your audience being like, what do you do to help yourself not feel so lonely when you're in a lonely situation and getting some feedback and incorporating them into like conquering this struggle together? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. So now you're, you're on the same team. You're you're working yeah. through this together. It creates conversation. Yeah, I think that's a much more proactive way to to handle that. I think that's a great balance. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, I, I I like what we're what we're getting into already. But I want to keep going too because uh, we have the next question, which has to do with time. Also, one that I've asked at this point probably hundreds of guests here on the podcast. But yeah. free time, I think, is probably well, certainly one of the top three benefits of running our own businesses, or at least it can be. And yet it's easy to kind of get sucked into working endlessly and not actually experience that freedom, that flexibility. What have you found Mackenzie has been beneficial and enabling you to create more space for yourself and the people around you, despite being a business owner? Yes, absolutely. So I want to preface this with the fact that for a really long time and still from time to time, I think that work-life balance as a self employed entrepreneur is a myth, but <laughs> fair. No, I, I would agree. Something that is, especially when you do something you love so much, it's hard to be like, put a line on it. So I think something that has really changed the game for me, even on those days when I'm like at seven o'clock at night, I want to edit a wedding for some reason, cause I love editing. It's time blocking. Mm. So time blocking, meaning like assigning times with duration to different activities during the day. I even, I, uh, how I got here is like my partner, Alex, he would come home from work and he, I would kind of be cranky at like four o'clock in the afternoon. And he's like, Kenzie, did you eat? And I realized I got so hyper-focused on work. Yeah. I didn't eat lunch. Uh, so I was like, this has got to change. So I started time blocking and just time. I time block lunch. I time block my gym time. I time block how long I'm going to work on my website or a wedding because you know, once you get like really fixated on something, you can do it for hours at a time. Yeah. But I think, that creating balance is super important, especially for mental health and time blocking has literally changed my life in that aspect. Yeah. Just, just easy parameters that, you know, Hey, I'm starting right. at this time. I'm ending at this time. It gives you something to work toward, you know, you're yeah. done after that, but it also pushes you within that time frame to maybe work a little bit more efficiently. I think that's really great. Yes. And, and then, you know, very closely related to time management is this topic of delegation or outsourcing. I know you said you do your own editing, mm-hmm. but are there certain elements of your business that you've at least experimented with delegating to someone else or to a different company? Yes. Albums. I freaking hate designing them. I love <laughs> the way they look. Oh yeah. my gosh. But I hate designing them. I just think it's a time suck. I just don't think that I'm very good at it either. Okay. So I outsource all of my album design to albums by Elizabeth T. And she is so fast, so amazing. And so understanding when you have those clients that are just like, I don't want to say nitpicky because obviously it's their album and it, you want to give them what they want. But sure. when they want tons of changes, she's so understanding. So I just, oh, I just owe so much to her because... <laughs> Albums are very much not something in my forte. <laughs> wow, I I want you as my client just just to hear that energy, like talking about my company. That's really really cool. What does she, does she have a website that we can mention? Um, I believe I believe she only has a Facebook. I met her on Instagram. She actually reached out and was like, "Hey, do you offer albums?" I go, "Yeah," but I hate it. And she goes, "Can I do them for you?" And I was like, 
Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) She's albums by Elizabeth T. I believe if you just search that, she'll come up on Facebook and she's on Instagram too. Okay, cool. Yeah. And Haley, who produces our show, she'll probably be able to search that. We'll put that in the show notes for anybody who's curious at bocapodcast.com. By the way, everybody listening in, I know I mentioned this quite a bit, but I I was even just looking at our show notes today from a particular episode. um, And this is like 300 episodes ago, but (laughs) <laughs> the the show notes at Boca Podcast at the Boca Podcast are just a wealth of information for anybody who's listening. Uh, Haley puts those together from each episode, the talking points, links to resources. So make sure you take advantage of them. You can see them at bocapodcast.com underneath each episode. Uh, or if you use a podcast player that, that has the show notes in it, of course, you can go from go there as well. But make sure to take advantage of those. Let me jump to the next question, though. Mackenzie, talk yeah. to me about a favorite book. I mean, this could be a, a business book, a self-help book that you've read or listened to that's just really made a big impact in your life. Yes. So there's two. I couldn't narrow it down because these are the two that I recommend to literally everyone I talk to. Oh, I love it. Okay, go for it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the first one is, so you want to talk about race by Iojima um, Alue. Yeah. Alua. She talks about racism, how race plays a bigger part in our world and our perspective. And it made me really examine my own privilege and how to see things from other perspectives. It also helped me to create a more inclusive business. It made me realize that my business was not inclusive as much as I wanted to talk about it. Mm. It wasn't. And there was a lot of things I was missing out on. And it also taught me how to have empathy when understanding the world around me, especially worlds I don't I don't personally live in. So highly recommend that. I've already list I do audiobooks and I've listened to that one twice already. <laughs> oh, no way. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes for sure. Yes. And then the second one is The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. I don't know if you always <laughs> go for it. By, go to town. Um, the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. And yes. this book literally changed my life. So I struggle with mild anxiety. So I also, with that comes kind of being a people pleaser and being everything for everyone, yep. especially in my business. How to go above and beyond is always on my mind. Um, but I used to spread myself very, very, very thin. And then I'd become bummed out about all the things I couldn't make better or do for other people. Mm. So what this book does is that it not only is written in a way that you're having a conversation, so it's a super easy read, even if you're not a reader. Like, And it helped me see situations for what they are and how to create boundaries for myself. And that translated into like how to see situations in my business for what they are and setting boundaries within the business. So I, I love that book and I've told everybody to read it. <laughs> You know, it's it's really funny, and I love that you just brought this up because it, the, the book had been mentioned enough on the podcast already. I finally was like, you know what? Really? Th- this feels relevant. So I went ahead and bought it. I literally just finished reading it like two days ago. Oh, um, perfect. And I, yeah, I ate it up. Honestly, I needed it as well. And there's, there is, you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but he, he deals with the issue of entitlement and yes. and how that then translates to our perspective on life and relationships and certainly right. the expectation that you also alluded to of you know others being the source of our happiness versus finding that yes. for ourselves and yes. um, that was that was a massive it was a, such a I, I you know it's a principle that i realized but i just i wasn't living it and the way that he broke right. it down it was so helpful right i think he writes in a really great way that reaches not only people who are avid readers, but people who may not read all the time, but know that they have heard great things about this book. And like, I love how he talks about entitlement and like our own definition of success, because I think especially as entrepreneurs, we're constantly playing that comparison game. We are constantly comparing our businesses to others and Mm. seeing, you know, what we can do better. And I think just like the way he words things to refocus your energy on like setting goals for yourself that are dependent on you and yourself only. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so important. Well, I, I was, I had a childhood that to be clear was not that tough, but one of the issues that I walked away with from my childhood was this tendency to rely on others for happiness. And, and, you know, I, yeah. I strove so hard to make a particular person in my life at that point happy uh, that mm-hmm. that became a habit. And it, it kind of became deeply, not even kind of, it became deeply ingrained in my psyche. And it's something that I've, mm-hmm. I've been working proactively at kind of stepping beyond. And this book was another great step in that direction. Uh, the way, like you said, that he, he broke this concept down of 
uh, or really ultimately the significance that we put on getting happiness through others and their approval, learning to set that aside and, and finding happiness for ourselves. It's, it's, it was a great reminder Absolutely. for me. So I'm so glad that you highlight this book and we'll certainly link to that book in the show notes as well. Bocapodcast.com. And uh, by the way, for everybody listening in, you can also go to bocabookshelf.com, which is a, a collection of the most popular books that have been mentioned by our guests here on the show. Um, over 450. This is, I think, Mackenzie, your episode 451 that I've recorded. Wow. <laughs> there are a lot of them out there, but um, <laughs> for everybody listening, make sure you take advantage of that resource that Haley put together as well. Talk to me. Let's let's get into this topic of, of sale, being salesy or being able to sell without being salesy. Uh, which might seem a bit counterintuitive to some, but uh, you you mentioned something to me leading up to our conversation. Uh, it, you you said that you've been able to increase, or you were able to increase your income um, significantly in the span of nine months. How recent was this, and what was the driving factor that enabled you to be able to do this? Yeah. So um, last July, I ended up doubling my income by the February of the following year just by refocusing my business. And I think it's, I want to account it to, or credit to the experience I had while student teaching. So I have my master's degree in education um, and I was student teaching. And I realized when I was talking to these teachers, you know, teachers don't get paid a lot at all, especially if you're teaching, you know, only with a master's degree or yeah. even just a bachelor's degree in a high school setting or, you know, elementary, they don't get paid a lot. They don't right. get paid enough. Right. I quickly realized that my own business doesn't have limitations. Like there's nobody telling me this is the cap on your income. Good luck. Like you better plan for the next year. Like I don't have that. Mm. There's no one telling me that. And yeah. so I was really fascinated by this idea and I decided to explore how much I could push it. And so I started, you know, investing in mentorships, education online. I started just taking things a little bit more seriously because the fact of the matter is that I grew up in a family that held college degrees very, very highly. Hmm. And nowadays, I'm going to be honest, I, I was a professor in a university for about two or three years. And I still tell them, like, you, you don't have to have a degree to do what you love. Like, times are changing. Yeah, That degree sometimes isn't, you know. So I grew up in this idea that I had to have a degree. And so when I realized I'm making a little bit more than what I'm making than I would as a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I can push this way farther. So I started diving into those important aspects of business that aren't so attractive. You know, the business side of things, not just creating pretty photos, but also like communication with clients. How easy is it to navigate my website? A website in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was such a loaded topic in and of itself for yes. sure. <laughs> That's really interesting. Okay, so that realization that we can create the income that we want to. You know, I, I grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of money and th the notion of being able to just kind of have the, you know, the open-ended freedom to be able to go create the life that I want to with via my own hands, basically, right. is it was not something that was, I guess, a commonplace point of thought, um, at least mm -hmm. at that point in time. It, it was, we, we lived in the context of extreme limitation. I mean, literally my dad, it's kind of funny talking about it, but my, my dad used to um, limit the amount of orange juice that we could have in the morning. So like there were these, <sighs> these little jars that we would get of chipped beef, which was, it's a whole different conversation in and of itself, but part of something that he would make <laughs> for breakfast sometimes. But there were these little glass jars, and th that was the the orange juice glass for breakfast in the morning. We were allowed to have that much orange juice. We could have you know usually yeah. one bowl of cereal. I mean, we were to be clear again, not an overly tough childhood, but financially we were certainly limited. And um, that was it's just kind of funny in some ways to think back about it. But that being said, I walked away from my childhood yeah. not really having a good grasp of what was possible financially. Right. So to be able to come to that realization had to have been huge. Did you did you grow up in a family that had money or that talked about money very much? No, there were no conversations about money, to be honest. Um, my parents were divorced at a young age too. Okay. And so it was it was navigating this world. I had a job right when I turned 16. Like I was responsible for that. I want to I want to say that I'm very, very, very thankful for that experience because sure it taught me what I'm going through right now with my own business. Like I was taught that I'm not entitled to shit. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't deserve, you know, like 
um, you, you have to put in the work for it. And I think with entrepreneurship, I think that this idea of entitlement can get lost in the bigger conversation because sometimes, you know, we're all in those photo groups or those wedding groups where people ask advice and it's just like, but did you do this and this and this? Did they first reflect on what they have done for their clients before this problem arose? And um, yeah, I feel like I'm getting off topic now. But Not yes, at all. I, no, didn't, no, no. I didn't. I think this yeah. is actually really important. I mean, we see in our photography industry, I think in our culture in general these days, but a lot of times on, on social media, again, we'll, we'll see this this phrase pop up, pop up, which is, I deserve dot, 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 and you know, film the blank, yes. whatever the thing is. <laughs> and honestly, it grates me the wrong way because I feel as though I need to earn whatever it is, um, mm-hmm. at, at least most cases. And I'm, I'm certainly willing to, to put work in and, and have been even learning the, the significance of work ethic, even in more, most recent or more recent years. But I, I right. think it really is important to set aside that, that notion of entitlement that I deserve this thing, realize yeah. that it can be had, but then I need to put the work in and then coming up with a strategy, you know, to your earlier point, like when it comes to running a business strategy is really important and figuring out, mm-hmm. um, how that, how I can go about reaching this goal or this set of goals. Uh, and, and creating a strategy to enable the, that accomplishment, I think is really important, exactly. but we have to put the work in. Exactly. Exactly. I was, um, I was reading a book or listening to a podcast. I can't remember which one, but the speaker on there was speaking on how to increase profitability or something. Okay. And they said, there is this, this is a revolutionary thought for me. And it's on a sticky note on my desk. I'm a fan of putting sticky notes all over my desk. <laughs> that remind me of things. Um, she, she said, money is waiting and you're at point A, the money's at point B. Hmm. How are you going to get to that money? And I was like, whoa, there is, there's always money. There's a plethora of money out there. There are opportunities out there. I just need to find them and put in the work to make them happen. How can I get from A to B? And she worded it like, okay, there's a parking lot outside your apartment and there's a thousand dollars in the backseat of this car that you have the keys to. Are you going to get up and walk out there, go down the stairs and get out into that car and get that money? (laughs) Or are you just going to sit there and hope that the door magically opens and the money money walks up to you? (laughs) Right. I love that picture though, because that is, and I've certainly been guilty of it too. That is kind of a mentality at times. I think that's easy to maintain, even if we're not conscious about it. Um, we do need to be proactive in our effort to go get that. Uh, and there are various ways to do so. We're going to talk today about the, the idea of upselling without coming across the wrong way or just really overly pushy, I guess. Um, but before I get to the specifics of that, will you explain and something you brought up again, leading up to our conversation and, and the notes that you sent to us, um, what does it mean to communicate value to clients or potential clients outside of galleries and albums, maybe even prints? What do you mean by that? Yeah. So, um, there's something that I do want to start off this conversation saying is that, We have to keep in mind, especially as photographers or even vendors in any industry that people shop around. That's logical to do. They're not, that doesn't mean they're cheap. Um, When I go to Target and I see something cute, I immediately get on my Amazon app and see if I can find it cheaper there, you know? So it's just logical to do that. So what we need to keep in mind is that clients aren't only emailing us. As much as we want to think that, we have to keep it real with ourselves Um, more often than not, they're talking to four or five other photographers in the industry because it's very logical to pick the one with the best quality and whether that be cost or value, because quality can go either way. Um, so when it comes to value, we need to think about what are we offering that keeps us different from those four other photographers they're talking to. Everyone is going to have albums. Everyone's going to have online galleries available. Value isn't only found in these products you offer, but also from the things you do behind the scenes that no one talks about. Ah. So when we think about these things behind the scenes, um, the first example I want to bring up is just making this transition from being a Midwest photographer to a Colorado-based photographer. We get a lot of couples from out of state wanting to plan their wedding here because it's just so stinking beautiful here. Yeah. And so what I've done to kind of put myself apart from the photographer other photographers in my industry is that I've create, I create custom guides. So it's not just like a wedding guide that you get every, you know, every couple gets it's completely custom planning guide 
that I send out to my specifically out of state couples because this in-state couples usually have things put together, but my out-of-state couples need a little bit more help. So this guide includes logistics on marriage license because marriage license out here are very different than other states. You don't need an officiate. You don't need witnesses. Your dog can sign your wedding um, license. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. Wow. Yeah. So um, I also talk about timeline, other vendors they can contact within the state so they don't have to hire outside um, vendors and then things they can do because usually they come here and it's their wedding and their honeymoon all in one. So like, here are some things that you can do in Colorado and here's the links to them. So value can come from so many things can come from turnaround time. So how fast they're getting their photos back. Each of my packages have different turnaround times. So if they want, if they want their photos back in two weeks, they're going to get that really big package that includes that two week turnaround location scouting is a big one. A lot of photographers do this and don't talk about it. Like how are you providing your clients with all these locations? Cause you location scout. So that should be a value that you've put in your packages that they don't have to think about location outfit health. Oh my gosh. Creating just a Pinterest board of outfits will help your clients so much. There's these things that we do, but we don't put in our pricing proposal and it's all value because clients have no idea what we do behind the scenes unless they're in our industry and listing these things will set you apart from the other photographers they're talking to. Now, when you talk about making them or customizing them specifically for each client, what elements of that are you customizing? Like how would it differ from one client to the next? Oh, that's such a great question. So in my custom guide, so first of all, the cover of them has a real cute photo of them. I pull from like their Facebook or their Instagram. So they never expect it. They're like, oh my gosh, we're on the front. And um, I use Canva to create these. And throughout there, it talks about their location. So especially my couples that elope somewhere where they've never been, like Rocky Mountain National Park or things like that. It talks about logistics, how to get there, what's the best um, form. Like I know the garden of the gods has a one-way street that goes all the way around it and if you can have most of your guests in less cars like you know all of them in one or two cars it's easier for them to navigate the park because then they don't have to worry about parking because they only have one to two cars instead of the five cars with you know some of their friends that came with them so i talk about logistics of their location specifically i talk about things that they can do that match their interests so like i get a lot of couples which i love that are just like yo, we want to get married with these amazing mountain views, but we don't want to hike six miles to get there. And I'm like, I got you. So I will not put in, Hey, here's the, all the locations to 14ers in your area that you're staying in. I'm going to put, Hey, there's really, really great shopping strips right here. And right here, um, here's great shows you can go to. I mean, you know, stuff that I'm not going to tell them here's some hikes. So all everything down to the very last thing is, is customized. And on initial like booking conversation, they tell me what other vendors they need help with. So I'm not going to give them, if they already have a videographer, I'm not going to list videographers. Sure. That's that's useless to them. So sure. I'll list floral, hair and makeup, any, if they want to buy their gown out here or, or any of the attire that they choose to wear um, out here, I can recommend different sites for that. So everything down to the last minute is, is totally customized in their planning guide. So not, no one gets the same planning guide. And I think that's, really valuable in treating clients individually and not just as like, you know, another thousand dollars in your bank. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. I mean, they immediately trust you more, mm-hmm. which, uh, and, and we may get into this later, but it certainly sets them up to be more comfortable with the idea of spending additional money down the road. If that, that opportunity presents itself, uh, oh, but yeah, you're, 100%. you're doing what you can to add what at times might seem like intangible value and ultimately kind of rolls up into this overall experience, which is highly valuable. And, and part of that's because you've right. created something that's custom for them. So that's, that's really great. Okay. So when you talk about behind mm-hmm. the scenes, you're talking about creating custom guides, by the way, are you using a, yeah. a, a template of some kind that you created or that you got somewhere else? Yeah. So I use Canva and when, if, if somebody wants to sign up for Canva, they're going to press you to like pay for it, but just keep clicking past those things because it is free and I cannot believe it's free. Um, but I use Canva. So I do use the same, like, I guess, template every time, Sure. but I just put their, I input their stuff. So it makes it quick. Um, they've provided me with all the information I need to input their stuff and I just drag and drop their photo and name it after their wedding. And, um, so yeah, the Canva and it saves all of your projects in there. So I just make a duplicate and go in with a new couple and then send it off. So it makes it super easy. Perfect. And so when you talk about sending it off, is this a digital copy or is there a printed copy as well? 
Yes. Yeah, so I am a hundred percent all for non-waste things yeah. um, because I, uh, I know a lot of people do like magazines and things for their clients, but I know that those things get thrown away, especially after they're done. Planning. Yeah. <laughs> so this is an online PDF you can download from Canva as a PDF. So cool. I just send that in an email um, and they can, they can look on it, right. Look at it right on their computer or their phone. Okay, so besides the custom guides, anything else that you're doing behind the scenes that, that creates this additional sense of value? Yeah, so I, on my personal or my pricing guides, I list things that I'm going to be doing behind the scenes. So a lot of photographers are like, oh, I love to surprise my couples with next day previews of their wedding photos. Yeah, That needs to be listed. That's a huge price point or a selling point for the clients because they're like, oh my gosh, the next day we wake up and we get to see some of our photos. <laughs> I put that, I put guaranteed next day previews and people are like, whoa, you're the first photographer that's listed to that in there. And I understand that surprises are so fun, you know, to surprise your clients. Sure. But some of those surprises need to be said because they're selling points. Like, um, so I send gifts. I, get, I send edible um, gifts in the mail to anybody that books with me. So it's either like ice cream or cookies. <laughs> Love something it. they can eat it's not a wasteful yeah but i don't put that in my pricing proposal that's one of my surprises but that's also not a selling point because they could go to the store and get their own cookies and ice cream you know what i'm saying so like putting things in your pricing proposal like next day previews that's a big thing that they want i have a photo booth so i'll put photo booths in there if it's more for a bigger traditional wedding um of course my elopements don't need a photo booth that would be weird but so just customizing all of those things putting in turnaround times i have a package that has a two-week turnaround time, a four-week turnaround time, and a six-week turnaround time. And they can customize this however they want to. So wow. just all of that stuff that we do behind the scenes is so, so important to like put out there because they don't know. That's interesting, but it ultimately acts as a, a differentiating uh, factor for them in their decision-making yes. process about who to hire. That's I, I love that. That's yes. that's a great idea. I think even as a photographer, I, I think back when I was shooting weddings, one of the things that I used to do um, at least initially, I think kind of secretly, if you will, as a surprise, like you pointed out, was I, I would I actually use and still have a, a Russian panoramic camera. It's a 35 millimeter panoramic wow. camera. And I would photograph the couple on the wedding day using this camera. And then I'd uh, yeah. have it, the, the film scanned, do the touch up work, have an eight by 20 print print it on fine art paper, mount it on foam core, put it in a box and give it to them. It was a really fun process just for me, like a creative process for me, but right. certainly a, a pretty big value add in the end. And I, I think to your point, it would have been good to just highlight that from the beginning. Like here is this, yeah. you know, we call it a bonus. We could just call it part of the package, whatever, but, but highlighting this additional value add that, that I was giving to my client. So I think that's a really great reminder for all of our listeners, but let's bring it back around to the conversation about being salesy and, and ultimately trying to upsell without doing being salesy. How does yeah. this behind the scenes work set up a photographer to sell more without being salesy? So clients will see how much you're actually doing for them yeah. without you doing much salesy talk just by listing the stuff that you're doing behind the scenes. This will also put you at the top of their choices because they see how much you're doing for them. So in order to set this up, you need to have a really solid contact form. Like your contact form needs to be stacked. <laughs> Okay. And what I mean by that is you need to be asking all, and I know it's going to be a long form contact form, but you're going to be asking all these questions in order to serve them. Because if they contact me and they're like, Hey, we're doing like 50 people or less for our wedding. They probably won't be interested in a photo booth because they're probably only looking for more of an elopement style photography coverage. So setting yourself up to serve them on that first initial email is crucial not only to help them and serve them, but to also not give them any wiggle room to ghost you because you gave them all the information <laughs> on their first email. And we, I know a lot of us struggle with ghosting and I'm going to be honest, I haven't been ghosted in a really long time because of the, the methods that I am talking about right now. So I am actually on your contact page and for anybody listening and if you go to mckenziebigliazzi.com slash contact, um, you can see this. It is, frankly, it really is a long form. And I'm thinking about our culture right now and how, you know, quote, ADD so many people are, like the idea yeah. <laughs> of spending 20 minutes filling out a, a contact form. It, I mean, how many people do you think 
that you drive away as a result. Um, because I, th- I think I see yeah. the value in what you're discussing and, and what you're suggesting for sure. But I also yeah. know people's tendencies. What, what are your thoughts on that? Right. That's such a good question. Cause I think that's the number one question when I get, when I say, you got to make that contact form. Great. Yeah. So the way I see it is that if they don't, and, and this may sound a little bit entitled, but if they don't want to spend time filling out that contact form, then I don't want to spend the time to make a custom planning. I just serve them the way they want to be served. Sure. Now I'm going to very, I'm, I want to make this very clear though. My contact form looks long, But a lot of those, I do not have the required on it. So like I have required for information. I have required for um, a few other questions, but some of the questions they could literally just like not fill out and that would be okay. okay. Um, But I have it required on the required questions. Those are the questions I need to give them the information on that first initial email. So sometimes I do get an A because I understand they're talking to probably four other photographers and they filled out a contact form. 16 billion times you know. So <laughs> when they get to me they're like oh my gosh another one and a longer <laughs> one so I understand I try to be understanding but I don't I try not to focus my energy on how much business I'm losing because I I don't feel like I'm losing any I feel like I'm getting the clients that want somebody who's going to take care of them and if if, if someone's looking for a, a, a photographer that doesn't want to do that then that's okay and that's not me yeah, and I don't think you mentioned maybe coming across entitled. I don't think it's entitled. I think this is just a, may, a way of kind of filtering for those clients who want to invest in the in the relationship yeah. because you know what you're going to put in. Uh, but to bring Good it back point. around again to the conversation, I think too that it makes sense the the idea that we put we invest in the relationship uh, when right. when these clients see what we're investing into the relationship by doing all the extras behind the scenes. Um, in some ways, I guess it softens them for the se- the sale later on if we do want right. to upsell, uh, sell them additional products or otherwise, maybe even just build on their existing package. Um, Absolutely. Talk to me about static pricing versus dynamic pricing. I mean, I, I know that like as a photography business owner, in my mind, it was, I, I just kept it simple. Like I, I want to yeah. have this many package prices and it was just a flat rate and that's that. You right. say that there's some significance to utilizing dynamic pricing. How does that fit into the conversation about upselling and how do we go about creating dynamic pricing? Yes. So I love talking about dynamic pricing. Dynamic pricing has literally changed the game for me. I okay. didn't know it was a thing because like what you were just talking about, static pricing was what I was taught. Like you have set packages if somebody can't pay it. Well, all right. Well, you just lost that. That's fine. But I think there is, a myth around this idea that we have to have set packages and there's no wiggle room. And, and um, so dynamic pricing is where you create a custom pricing proposal for each inquiry that comes in Hmm. and it's changed the game for me. So I know this sounds like a lot of work, but I'll break it down a little bit. It's similar to the way that hotels or flights fluctuate in price depending on time of year and when you use their services. Sure. Because if you book a flight around Christmas time, it's going to be way more expensive than booking a flight, I don't know, in April when like nothing's going on, right, you know, right. in the middle of the week. So the first step to dynamic pricing is creating base prices. So base prices comes from knowing your cost of doing business and knowing how much you want to profit on each of your packages because profit is important. That's the key to being a profitable business. Right. So when you can you can create packages, you start out, I guess you do start out with static pricing. Like these are the absolute, if somebody came up to you and was like, I need to have you, you love them and and you wanted to serve them. What are the minimum base prices you could do something for them? So um, I guess this comes down to subjectivity because obviously it's going to be different, like with elopement or, you know, family photographers or what have you, but you want those minimum base prices. So I create a custom proposal on Dubsado. I use Dubsado as my CRM and I create a base price proposal. And this proposal, I just copy literally every time. So then I can just go in and all I have to alter on it is the packages and what they entail and the pricing of them, um, dependent on the contact form I got back from the couple. So it's always there for me. I just have to go in and kind of alter a few things and then send it back out. So the next step, I, it, it goes back to your contact form. So the contact form is going to make sure that you are asking all the questions and creating a custom proposal because we want to avoid this first initial email saying, hi, 
Um, where, when is your event? Where is it? Would love to jump on a phone call. Instead, your initial email can be like, Hey, I am stoked to talk to you. Here's all the year information that you just asked me for. And it goes back to this idea of like, they can't, they can't ghost you. Like they got all their information and they're either going to move forward or they're going to ask a couple more questions. So the major questions that help me create these custom proposals are location. Location's huge one. Um, budget, the size of their wedding, um, what they envision when it comes to photography and their pain points. Their pain points are a big one. It tells you a lot about how they're feeling about this whole planning process. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, these questions help me to properly price things so that clients don't feel nickel and dimes because what we want to do is make our clients feel comfortable and taken care of um, so you can sell them without being salesy. And well, I think that's the key is, is cultivating this feeling with them. And, and I, by the way, I, I love the detail with which you approach this whole process. Um, I'm curious when you talk about asking for their budget, uh, me being maybe yeah. the slightly cynical individual that I am, when I hear, like, if I'm going to go buy, I, I, I have a problem. I buy lots of motorcycles. So when I go buy a motorcycle, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, if I hear somebody say, hey, what's your budget? I naturally yeah. internally kind of go defensive. I'm like, well, of course they want to know my budget. And if I you know, give them this massive budget, then they're going to sell me the most expensive motorcycle or whatever it might be. Right, right. Um, is there, what is the value from your perspective in asking for their budget? And do you feel like potential yeah. clients might immediately get defensive with that question? Yeah, so far so good. I haven't had any like defensive responses or anything. But I think I do, I'm very clear on my website where my prices start and what they include. So it's not like a shock if they get an email back like with the prices that I have. But this budget question helps me because like recently I got an email from clients that were like, hey, we only have, I don't know, let's say, I don't want to say the real price, but like 450 to spend on photography. We want eight hours. So what this tells me is that obviously it's their, it's probably their first time booking a photographer and they're not sure. Um, they might've gotten my contact form straight from my Instagram. So they didn't go to my investment page. So what I do with that email is that I will send them a loom video. So I lose, I use loom L O O M and I send them a loom video of me talking about, Hey, like I see that your budget's this, like, so this is what goes into the whole process. And I go into how I have to pay stinking taxes <laughs> and, they, and what I do behind the scenes. And luckily with that couple, they still booked with me at a regular, like a more reasonable price for my end okay. because they were like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that all of this goes into it. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. And just being understanding and knowing that like, they don't know. <laughs> like yeah. Clients don't know what we do. So that budget helps me to either understand where they're coming from um, or try to accommodate it the best I can with their pricing proposal. Because some people might be like, hey, I'm capped at this much. What can I get for that? And I just be open and honest. Um, so it helps me serve a lot more people okay. than just the cookie cutter. This is what I have clients. Okay, cool. All right. So you start with that base package, which by the way, I mean, I'm, I'm on your website here on the yeah. investment page and it says Colorado wedding packages starting at 3,300, but then you have some of the kind of a la carte options. It looks like that can be added on and yeah. you're, you're pricing that based on the information that they give you through the contact form. Now, is there any other, um, are, are there any other steps to this process of creating dynamic pricing? Yes. So with this dynamic pricing, especially for photographers who might want to travel or get into travel photography, you do have to look in estimates of what is going to cost you because you'll need a hotel. You might need a hotel the night before and the night of. You might need a flight. You might need a stinking rental car. Like there's so <laughs> many things. Because yeah. how are you going to get from A to B, especially if you fly to this rural town in the middle of nowhere? They don't have Uber. So you have to get a, a, a rental car. So I, I think that's the hardest part about this dynamic pricing is that you do have to do the work to do the research to make sure that when the wedding day comes up and you're booking all your travel stuff, you're not getting screwed to put it politely. Like you're just, you know, you're getting taken care of without nickel and diming them being like, well, this is just for the package, but we're going to have to pay for the flight, the rental car, the hotel all separately. So how do you feel about that? They're immediately going to be like, no, because they don't know how much all that's going to be. So if you right. can just package it all together and do the estimates 
and just have a package ready for them so that you can just take care of your own travel. I think that speaks volume to the fact that not only are you (laughs) self-efficient and you're taking care of yourself, but they also can just say yes, book you that same day and not have to worry about any further fees later on in the future. So when, when you go about creating this pricing proposal and you're, you're looking at the cost for you know, rental car, for example, and mm-hmm. hotel and food, and, and I mean, the list could go on. Are you adding a percentage to that for the sake of profit or are you building your profit into the base package and, and then just charging them cost for these various items? Yeah. So there is a slight difference between like if I were to work here in Colorado or if I were to fly back home to Illinois, because that is an Illinois wedding is going to take me three days now. But Colorado, I only have to work eight hours and come home at night. Sure. So evaluating what your time is worth. Obviously, there's no secret recipe. And that stinks because I wish there were to figure out what this is, what this number is. But understanding that When you travel, you'll probably have to fly in the day before the wedding, shoot the wedding, stay the night, and you'll travel home the next day usually. So knowing that you're going to be out three days when you could maybe book another session on Friday and Sunday, but now you can't because you have a out-of-state wedding, you're going to have to determine what you want to make from that to make up for those missed opportunities. Does that make sense? I know that's not a very clear, but pricing is so stinking abstract that I just... (laughs) Oh, no, it's I mean, hard to talk directly to it. Well, there's certainly a lot of different variables. Um, I was yeah. just trying to figure out if, if, you know, with those individual costs, because they will vary from client to client, depending on Absolutely. where they're getting married and, and what all is involved. I didn't know if yeah. you were building additional profit. Like, you know, if the hotel is, let's just say for the sake of conversation, $100 a night, are you adding an additional $20, $30, $40, $50, $100 to that price point to make additional profit there within these various a la carte costs? in addition yeah. to the profit that you have built into the base package? Yes, I am. Yes. Okay. Um, there's a little bit more that goes into it because I also have to think about, like I said, the opportunities I'm missing out on by going out of state. Yeah. My time, you know, is worth something. And also I have to buy lunch and breakfast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, all of that. Yeah. So usually my out of state weddings are a bit more um, expensive because I am spending my valuable time going and doing these things and coming back rather than working in my home state and coming home to my apartment at night. So yes, that's a great question. There's, you need to account for that profit in all aspects. And then when you're sending them that proposal, does the proposal Mm -hmm. break down everything as a line item so that they can see, Hey, this is why this costs, you know, whatever the amount is Mm -hmm. so they can see that Mm -hmm. in detail. Uh, no, it doesn't. (laughs) Okay. Um, it does break down. It doesn't do line items. So it's not like like a receipt you'll get from a restaurant that's like your diet coke was three (laughs) dollars um (laughs) it'll it it will break down what they get out of the package though so like if they want that two-week turnaround an album the photo booth um next day previews the complimentary engagement session all of that will be broken down and it's also broken down in their invoice and their contract so I am contracted into delivering those things and that also makes them feel taken care of all goes back to that So I do list them, but I don't put like prices on them. And honestly, I don't usually get clients that ask me to do that. But if they were, if somebody were like, hey, could you break this down so I can better understand your pricing? I'd be more than happy to do that. And then that's when I would list taxes and the time I charge editing and stuff like that. (laughs) But I think that's a little bit, especially with somebody who might not be in the industry, that might be a little bit overwhelming and they won't really understand the breakdown. Sure. So I just keep it as line items without prices. And if they ask me for it, I'm more than happy to do it. Now, you know, the, I guess the the running theme through this conversation about the way Mm -hmm. that you interact with or engage with your clients is that you're doing everything that you can to create a sense of value. Well, first of all, just a sense of an interest in a genuine relationship, which then sets the tone for uh, potentially upselling them later on. You're, you're doing everything you can behind the scenes to add value to that relationship. Um, but I, I guess really at the end of the day, I'm curious what it is that you are upselling and what that conversation sounds like. Are you upselling, uh, adding, you know, various a la carte items to the package? Are there additional products you're up, you're upselling to what, what are you actually selling to them in addition to the base package? Yeah. So in that contact form, the contact form tells me what pain points they're having. Sure. Um, 
And when I ask the budget question, usually I get, this is the average response. Well, I have this budget and I would like, obviously the ceremony, um, family photos, and maybe a little bit of reception. Uh, and they don't really know because they've never been married before and that's okay. So they have this budget and I usually upsell people because in the pricing proposal, I break down um, how the hours work. So I know that we all list hours like eight hours, six hours, 12 hours, whatever you do. But in my loom video, when I walk them through the pricing proposal, because I never blindly send it, I always send a loom video or I jump on a phone call. However, they want to be contacted. Cool. I will do that for, yeah. um, I walk them through and I say, this is what eight hours looks like. And I take them through the entire wedding day. Same with the 10 and the six, because they don't know, they don't know what that looks like realistically, but when you can visualize it for them, especially over a loom video and just being like, Hey, eight hours is my most popular because you know what? We can get the end of getting ready all the way through the formals of the reception. And that's great. And it's not overkill. And that's how I am talking about hours in that way. So more often than not, they end up going with a bigger package because they're like, well, we want this and this and this, and this is what's going to get me there. And I've done that through trust, making sure yep. I'm serving them, making yeah. sure I'm solving those problems because they'll literally tell me in their in, uh, inquiry form that like, we've never done this. Like, uh, please let me know if I'm wrong. <laughs> it's just like, okay, well, here's what it looks like. Yeah. So I think the importance is just communicating, anticipating their needs, even if they uh, even if they haven't voiced that they need them by asking those correct questions, like budget, what they expect pain points ah. and solving that in the pricing proposal. Cause yes. when you say here, I, I literally read through your contact form and these are the, so, the solutions I have for your problems. They're automatically going to be looking at that larger package, even though their budget might be a little bit, you know, under that. This is, this is good. Okay. This really brings us around. And I think, I think like puts a nice wrapping and bow on the conversation. You, you've summed yeah. it up beautifully there. First of all, make sure that you build a sense of trust through developing a relationship with them. Uh, and of course, part of the development of that relationship is, is adding as much value as you can to their experience, but yes. communicate proactively for the sake of yeah. solving, understanding and then being able to solve their pain points. And, and then when you are, you know, quote unquote, upselling them, adding to their package, for example, they really just feel like they're being better taken care of. And that comes Absolutely. from that conversation and understanding of what their pain points are. You're able to, to solve those pain points. They feel taken care of and you made a little bit of extra cash to boot. It sounds like a win-win. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's all about that feeling. Mm. And, you know, I've talked to some mentees that are just like, yeah, I send them a 30 page PDF that goes through the whole process. And I'm like, what? No one's going to look at that. You're making it hard for them to give you money. Like, why are you giving them homework? So yeah. my pricing proposal, I mean, it's a one page link and it goes through, it talks about what it prefaces them for the packages they're going to see. It explains that they're totally customizable. It talks about the experience they can expect from me. We go into the packages and the packages, just a little thing I like to do because I ask so many questions on their in, uh, in inquiry form is I title all the packages towards their interest. So like one time I had a couple that was like, we love the office. And so I titled all of them after office episodes. Oh, no way. <laughs> yes. I mean, just those little things to show them that like, hey, this is totally custom to you. It's not, you know, nobody else is getting this proposal, but you. That's cool. So customizing it, making it easy to read, not jumbling it up, using Canva to make it. Oh, design does not come easy to me or a lot of people. So Canva has templates in there that you can literally just put the information in, making sure that it's easy to read and you can walk it, walk them through it. I do want to talk to the fact that also dynamic pricing makes it easier for you to pick up smaller jobs in off months. Cause we all have off months, like months where people just don't want to get married like January and February when snow is usually happening. Right. I'm able to during peak season to charge, you know, what I need to during the time that I'm in demand, but I'm also able to adjust prices to pick up an extra $1,500 in the middle of January when I'm not going to make that, you know, anytime else. So dynamic pricing gives me the flexibility to serve literally anything. I like that. Uh, yeah. And yeah. which is, I mean, particularly poignant at the moment, considering what we're all going through and and the reality yes. that we might not be able to to be hardline about you know our whatever the price point is that we normally charge, 
looking for opportunities Absolutely. to be flexible there for the sake of generating income is, is important. So I think that's important to keep Absolutely. in mind for everybody. Uh, this has ultimately been a, a really valuable conversation. Again, I just love your energy, yeah. Mackenzie. We, <laughs> would you kind of finish the conversation for us by reminding our listeners um, where they can find your website, where they can see you on social media, and then just mention too, I know that you've got an education uh, platform yeah. of sorts, a resource. <laughs> we, we also mentioned that. I do. I do. So um, I'm teaching all day, every day, along with my partner, Victoria St. Martin. We created Cultivate Education. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash Cultivate Education, or you can find the link in my bio on Instagram. My website's mckenziebigliazzi.com, and my Instagram is mckenzie underscore bigliazzi. Cool. And we're going to put all this in the show notes at bocapodcast.com for anybody who's curious. And uh, I just want to say one more time, Mackenzie, thank you so much for hanging out with me and, and for bringing the value that you did to our conversation today. Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm so stoked. <laughs> Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the Boca podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at BocaPodcast.com. Make sure to visit our sponsors, PhotographersEdit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.